You are listening to Talk Geek to Me News number 78, record for Sunday, October 7th, 2012. You are listening to the Tech Only Hacker Public Radio Edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek, Talk Geek to Me. And now the tech roundup. From TorrentFreak.com by Nigmax, dated October 3, 2012. PRQ raid targets revealed. Pirate Bay party gets boost. Plot thickens. Police carried out a raid against Swedish hosting company PRQ on Monday, and the searches were finally completed today. The immediate effect was that all sites hosted on the 80.88.19 net went down, including the torrent sites at torrenthound.com, linkomanija.net, and tankofetaste.nu, release blog rlslog.net, and sports streaming sites atdhennet.tv, hahasport.com, sportlemon.tv, stopstream.tv, in all, dozens were affected. The individual sites listed above are now back online with one notable exception, Tank of the Test. As reported earlier this year, Tank of the Test was once Sweden's second largest torrent site, but in February decided to call it quits. The closure was prompted by a Supreme Court decision that would not be granting leave to appeal in the long-running Pirate Bay case and subsequent warnings of a file-sharing site crackdown from Hollywood lawyer Monique Watstead and anti-Pirate Byron lawyer Henrik Ponten. Despite the announcement, Tank of Fetest had remained online until this week, but as confirmed by PRQ owner Mikhail Viborg, this morning the police took the site's server on Monday. They took three servers, and I know two of the sites that were targets of the raid. The first is tankofetest.com or tankofafet.com. They are different names for the same site, he said. The other is a site called appbucket.com. It has not been on since April when they stopped paying their bills, so no other customer has taken over the server, Viborg added. Although Viborg is quoted as referencing appbucket.com, that site has zero traffic and is owned by Photobucket Incorporated, a seemingly unlikely target for police operation. However, switch to appbucket.net and things get a whole lot more interesting. The site was the subject of a legal action in August when the FBI seized its domain in a crackdown against Android app piracy. It was also hosted by PRQ. The site currently diverts to the familiar seized server notice, but its Whois entry reveals that it is still registered to PRQ itself, care of none other than the Pirate Bay co-founder and former PRQ owner Gottfried Svaltholm. Torrent Freak is currently awaiting further information from Mikael Viborg. Overall, the raids this week generated a lot of interest from web users, particularly as they coincide with the Pirate Bay being offline. The site has now returned, but it's interesting to see how many other torrent sites received a boost as a result of its downtime.
as can be seen from the member graph below another direct beneficiary of the raids is the swedish pirate party after having its server seized this week tankafetest redirected its domain to the party's facebook page this resulted in a very welcome onslaught of new members explains pirate party leader anna troberg last time i checked we had about a thousand new members and twelve thousand new likes on facebook in a day authorities are currently refusing to discuss the raids but anti-piracy group anti-pirate byron confirms that on monday fifty illegal sites went offline as a result of the action at prq from eff.org dated october first twenty twelve by Hanny fakuri governor brown vetoes california electronic privacy protection again location privacy took a hit in california yesterday when governor jerry brown vetoed sb one four three four an eff and aclu sponsored bill that would have required law enforcement to apply for a search warrant in order to obtain location tracking information despite the bills passing through the state legislature with overwhelming bipartisan support despite local newspaper editorials in favor of the bill and despite more than one thousand three hundred concerned californians using our action center to urge him to sign the bill into law governor brown instead decided to sell out privacy rights to law enforcement it's not the first time either last year he did the same thing with sb nine one four a bill that would have required police to obtain a search warrant before searching an arrested individual's cell phone incident to arrest to read the rest of this article follow links in the show notes from techdirt.com by mike masnick dated friday october fifth twenty twelve why the mpaa can't win the hearts and minds of the public file sharing is mainstream a few weeks ago we wrote about the new digital music index from london-based music metrics looking at the popularity of file sharing by location in the uk the results showed that the act of file sharing was mainstream rather than a limited activity the same group has now released a u.s version of its report which more or less shows the same thing black quote Americans downloaded more than 97 million albums and singles using BitTorrent during the first half of 2012, with Gainesville, Florida named as the country's pirate capital in an influential new report of the 97 million torrents downloaded across the USA, around 78% were albums and 22% singles. Assuming an album contains 10 tracks, the total number of songs downloaded would have surpassed 759 million in six months, and block quote. The report admits that not all of the songs being downloaded were unauthorized, but suggests that since many of them are, the characterizations are fair, of course. Just as we saw in the UK, all this really seems to show is how widespread file sharing is. It's not a marginalized effort hidden away from society, as some would have you believe, but something that a very large percentage of the population engages in on a regular basis. A much more interesting and relevant report comes from Joe Carraganis, who is teasing a larger new report that's about to be released concerning copy culture in both the U.S. and Germany. The first tease discusses the attitudes of file sharers in the U.S. about whether or not it's reasonable to do certain types of file sharing, and the results suggest that the MPAAs and many politicians believe that all they need to do is educate people is based on very little evidence. The key point is that, contrary to the assertions of some, the moral questions around file sharing are rarely black and white. Editorial comment inserted here in the news report is a fascinating graph you would probably want to view. 
that breaks down by age the answer to the survey question for the questions share with family members share with friends upload to f websites where people can download them post links to unauthorized files and sell copies and a total comment Karganik explains that some seem to think there are just two views of file sharing block quote Let's recall that there are two conventional ways of talking about the ethics of copying, both in relation to the theft of material property. First, that copying is not like theft because it is non-rivalrous. Making a copy does not deprive the owner of the use of the good. For short, call this the Paley position, the defense of digital culture as a culture of abundance. Second, that copying is like theft because it deprives the owner of potential economic benefit from the sale of that good, in the case of downloading, to the copier. Call that the MPAA position, the defense of culture as a market that depends on the scarcity or controlled distribution of digital goods." End block quote. Then he notes that copyright laws were really built up around a specific type of copying, commercial copying, rather than personal copying, and the data above certainly suggests that the views of people on any sort of moral question change depending on the context, but also, and this is important, based on age. The younger generation just seems to believe that basic sharing with friends and family should be seen as perfectly reasonable. The different ways of slicing the data certainly suggest that a blanket argument that piracy is theft is going to completely miss its mark in educational campaigns. People just don't buy it. To read the rest of this article, follow links in the show notes. From TechDirt.com by Ben Zevenbergen Dated October 4th, 2012. Report on Internet Freedom shows we're seeing less and less of it. During the revolutions in the Arab world since December 2010, standing government's fates were determined partly by the ability of their people to communicate via online tools and mobile phones. Whenever an uprising started in a new territory, dictators and government officials scrambled to halt the ability for protesters to communicate in many different ways. Other governments looked on fearfully at how their colleagues were coping or failing to address the challenge posed by the Internet, hoping to maybe learn a best practice or two in the digital repression. The U.S. government and European Union were quick to respond with all sorts of plans to help the people fighting for reform. In speech after speech, the U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton announced large funds to be made available for online dissidents, resulting in projects such as Digital Defenders Partnership. The EU sponsored with its own plan a no-disconnect strategy. Both approaches share the idea that supplying activists and bloggers with the tools to circumvent repression by governments. Another common feature is to engage U.S. and EU companies to support the Internet freedom efforts and to discourage the sale of surveillance technology to foreign villains. These initiatives may well end up in a cat-and-mouse game, though where equipment or code developed to increase online freedom of dissidents only prompts concerning governments to react in more aggressive ways to silence dissent. Editorial comment It is important to note that while the U.S. has supported dissidents in other countries, the U.S. applies the same repressive techniques to its own dissidents. End editorial comment. 
Unfortunately, these well-meant efforts are viewed skeptically and with little credibility by many, considering that efforts against WikiLeaks continue to intensify, people are increasingly under threat of being disconnected, citizens are being illegally arrested, and more and more public funds are being spent on s such unreasonable restraints at home. To get an overview of these developments in the world, it is worth reading the recent Freedom of the Net 2012 report by Freedom House, a watchdog dedicated to freedom and democracy in the world. The report studies the reactions of 47 nations to challenges posed by the Internet and is written by more than 50 researchers. Based on the countries that were analyzed, it has been reported widely that, out of these countries, Estonia and the U.S. score the best in the Internet Freedom Rankings. To read the rest of this article, follow links in the show notes. This article includes a enumerated list of trends in Internet surveillance, which is most enlightening. From torrentfreak.com, by Enigmax, dated October 5, 2012. Mega upload sees data case will get a hearing, court rules. In a couple of weeks' time, it will be exactly 10 months since mega upload servers were raided by U.S. authorities. Now, and after considerable legal wrangling, it finally appears that the fate of the user's data on those machines is set to be decided. The data currently sitting inside 1103 servers at Carpathia Hosting in the United States has been the subject of extended negotiations between Mega Upload's legal team and the Department of Justice and other parties. Mega Upload wants its former users to regain access, but the authorities and the MPAA, who say the machines are filled with pirated movies, TV shows, and music, aren't so keen. In May, and after initial requests months earlier, Ohio-based businessman Kyle Goodwin, a former Mega Upload user who lost access to his personal videos, filed a motion with the support of the EFF asking the courts to find a solution for the return of his data and that of other Mega Upload users. Although Judge Liam O'Grady didn't make a direct decision, he did order the original parties back to the table to negotiate. In July, they limped on for a couple of months, only to fail again in September. This prompted the EFF to put more pressure on Judge O'Grady. Now, according to the EFF, things are moving forward at last. Quote, the court stated today that it will hold a hearing to find out the details about Mr. Goodwin's property where it is, what happened when the government denied him access to it, and whether and how he can get it back, unquote, says EFF attorney Julie Samuels. Goodwin and the U.S. government have been asked to sum up with a format for the hearing to take place on a currently unscheduled date sometime in the future. Describing the good news as long overdue, Samuels says the hearing will represent another step for innocent users to have their rightful property returned. We are glad that Mr. Goodwin will finally get to make his case in court, and we will look forward to helping the judge fashion a procedure to make all of Mega Upload's consumers whole again by granting them access to what is legally theirs, Samuels concludes. Mega Upload lawyer Ira Rothkin, who previously told Torrent Freak that the seizing of all user data by the U.S. government amount to a violation of due process, says the hearing will give Mega Upload the opportunity to call U.S. officials to testify. Quote, Mega Upload will be filing papers with the court to specially intervene, unquote, he told CNET, quote, considering that it is the only Internet service provider that, under applicable privacy laws, is the only party that can access the data and coordinate return to consumers, unquote. 
News from TechDirt.com, TheStand.org, IndiesTimes.com, and Olga.com used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution license. News from DemocracyNow.org and PeoplesWorld.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is dgtgtm, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.